This is exactly right. I'm Kate Winkler Dawson, a journalist, author, and podcast host. And I'm Paul Holes, a retired investigator with experience solving some of America's most notorious cold cases. Together, we host Buried Bones, a historical true crime podcast on the Exactly Right Network. Each week, we examine a different case from history and use our years of experience and 21st century forensics to bring new insights into these very old tragedies. Like the time the Sausage King of Chicago's wife went missing in 1897. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Follow Buried Bones wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to my favorite murder, Celebrity Hometowns. That's right. Segment. Segment. Here it is. Portion. Of the show. A new thing we're doing. We thought it would be fun to gather up all of our most famous friends and have them tell us about the inciting incident that got them into true crime, an interesting story from their life some kind of badass grandma that they might have in their background. Anything. Anything. Hauntings. Hauntings are great. Did your brother almost try to kill you on accident when you were kids? Is your grandma related to Al Capone? We've heard it all and we want to hear it all. That's That's what hometowns are all about these days. And then what better than to get a hometown from a person that you've seen on TV, you know them from social media, from podcasting, from everywhere you look. The one and only, Mr. Paul Paul Holes. Look at him. (laughs) How's it going? It's been a long time. It has. How's your quarantine going? You know, it's uh, it's going good. Yeah, yeah. In fact, the, the the pandemic was my first break since I retired. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You retired and immediately started a brand new career. Yes. Yeah. Um, it was crazy in the media. Yeah. Right. So you know, I you know, March of 2020, I came back from New York. Uh, I was on Dr. Oz, and uh, the next day I had a fever and a sore throat, and yep. I, I have a feeling that I probably had COVID out of New York. Yeah. You know, and it lasted four days. It wasn't too bad. Um And then <laughs> from, from then on, you know, my life slowed down, which was much needed. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> it, unexpected and scary, but it's also yes. like, wow, this is what it's like for, yeah. to actually retire. Uh, to, to a point, yeah, you know, but it was in in some ways, you know, it's unfortunate it had to do because of the pandemic. But then, you know, I moved out to Colorado, so I started enjoying Colorado things. You know, every, of course, everything was shut down here from you know restaurants and stuff, but I could still go out in the mountains. I could still yeah. mountain bike, so that's what I did. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And Paul, I remember when you got that fever on your flight home because we were all talking about, oh, we don't have to shut the offices down right now. We can still, and we were kind of playing in that middle ground. And then Danielle called and she's like, Paul Holes probably has it. We have to shut everything down and get it industrially cleaned. And it was, that's when we got serious because we were like, whether Paul actually has it or he's just sick from traveling, whatever this is, we now know that this is how close it could be yeah. that mm-hmm. we could give, that everyone could give it to each other. Like it's serious business. Yeah. yeah, the exactly right offices are no more because 
we don't need them. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, and and that's, you know, that's what's been surprising to me because I know going into this podcasting world, I was like, well, I need to be in the room with the person I'm talking to. That's what I'm used to. Mm -hmm. And then we're forced to do the online. But with, you know, like right now, I can see you two. You know, I can see you, you're looking, how your body language is, and, <laughs> you know, that's what Billy and I do. And and it worked, yeah. and the listeners didn't notice a difference. So it's right. something that, you know, makes life a little bit easier versus yeah. me constantly traveling out to L.A. to record. That's yeah. true. And now we know in the future, like, it's not, it, it's so much better to be in person. Everyone knows that, but it's yeah. not totally necessary that you have to upend your life every time you have to record an no, episode. That's, no, that that that's true, you know, but I, I miss seeing you guys in person and I think I'll be seeing you guys in person pretty soon. I hope so. Yay, that's yeah. great. Murder Squad has just done so well from the get-go. Yeah. Like, you guys are a hit podcast. I mean, we all knew that it would be when you, we asked you to do it, but it's just so great to watch you guys grow because you really have been a juggernaut. And I, I don't think we've even had that conversation with you ever of just like, congratulations and thank you for making a hit show. Well, you know, I think where the credit is deserved is with you guys. You know, you had the belief in us and your fan base in part was something that gave us an advantage, you know. So, yeah, I, I know, you know, I and, and, and Billy and I have talked. We understood that we had, you know, that type of um, opportunity. And, you know, we, we really do owe you guys a lot for the success that we've had on our Aww. side. You're so modest. <laughs> You're very modest, Paul, especially when the hashtag hot for holes started <laughs> and then went on for so long. I think it's still alive to this day. It is. Yeah. I mean, come on. You're well, like a member of New Kids on the Block and you know it. And we weren't going to let that opportunity pass us absolutely by. Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, I, I blame you guys for that. Are you kidding? <laughs> we didn't start it. We didn't start the fire. We did not start that fire. Oh, no, we did it. Burning. Oh, yeah. Hey, right. I have a question. Did you sure. write a book during the pandemic? Mm-hmm. Like, was it thoroughly in, or was it before and you started it before? I started a book a couple of months after I retired, you know, and okay. of course it was, it was underway during the course of, as I was doing everything. And then the pandemic really allowed us to drill down and try to, to get it done. And so now it for the most part is done. And, and you guys were the first ones to announce it. Yes. That was we're so excited. Yeah. yeah Can't yeah. wait to read it. It's so it's coming out. Is that right? April of 2022. Uh, that's that that's correct it's available for pre-order right now i'm excited it's you know th- th- it's something where the author and the publisher really push me because it's you know i thought going into writing the book all people wanted to hear about was the you know the inside scoop of golden state killer um and then they really said no people want to get to know who you are as well as you know your career so in many ways this is my memoir and in many ways i've had to open up and divulge a lot of personal aspects of my life that, you know, I, you know, for, it's very uncomfortable. I'm a very private person. I'm naturally mm-hmm. an introvert, you know, but also at the same time, it's important for people to see how working in this line of work and in, in, in particular the types of cases that I worked has impacted me on a personal level. And, yeah. and, and that really fundamentally is, is one of the, the primary goals of this book is is for people to understand why I am me 
now, you know? So it's, uh, it was an interesting process. Uh, I just hope that people read it and understand when they read <laughs> a lot of things about me. <laughs> <laughs> we got it. Oh boy. We got it. It's called Unmasked, My Life Solving America's Cold Cases. And yes. please pre-order. That's such an important thing for authors that I think a lot of people don't know is the pre-order is a big deal. So yeah. do that. Yeah. But it is so weird when they push you to write. Like we wrote a memoir and we're open books and we still had to be pushed to write personal things that we had no idea. Like, so <laughs> as someone who's an introvert, I can't imagine how hard that was. Yeah, yeah a- just can consider the fact that all of those secrets are now going into the Library of Congress and you're <laughs> forever recorded. That's right. Everything that you, everything that yeah, you admitted. No worries. No biggie. No, it's just, no big deal. Recorded for life. <laughs> oh, you're making me feel so much better. <laughs> that's our specialty. That's yeah. If, if we had to do it, you got to do it. That's yeah. Our, that's our rule for our friends. Yes, exactly. I can't wait to read it though. Yeah. I think there's all those East Bay crimes that I know of growing up in, you know, in the Bay Area. I just can't wait yeah. to get the, the yeah. inside scoop. Yeah, there's, I, I talk about, you know, some of the cases I've been involved with and, you know, I was in a unusual position to either have caught the cases from the get-go or insert myself in select cases. And some of these cases are cases that the world knows about, but doesn't know that I've was involved behind the scenes, you know? Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, there's going to be details in there about some of these things that nobody's ever heard. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm just excited to be able to put this out there and, and hope people find it a a compelling read. So cool. Yes. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a big deal to write a book. It's your big deal. You're an author. (laughs) It's, it's, (laughs) I never would have imagined I'd be here, but yes, you know, and I'm, and I'm a podcaster. And And you're a podcaster. podcaster. First and foremost. You're a, you're America's heartthrob. I mean, all all these things. things. You're a multi, you're a multi hyphenate. (laughs) Is what they say. I'm a retired county employee. That's what I am. (laughs) (laughs) To put it simply. Yes. Yes. Georgia, is there anything scarier than trying to log into an account and it tells you that your password is incorrect? And then you try again and it's the same thing. And after a few more failed attempts, big red letters appear saying you've been locked out and your account is suspended. That happens to me all the time, Karen. But scary password stories can have happy endings if you give 1Password a try. 1Password is a user-friendly password management system. It's trusted by consumers, families, small businesses, and large-scale enterprises. If you're tired of being the family member everyone texts for a streaming login or the unofficial keeper of all those shared work credentials, it's time for you to pass the torch to 1Password. They allow for secure login sharing. With 1Password, you can securely store more than just passwords, autofill everything from usernames to payment details and personal info. They'll also notify you about potential data breaches. 1Password saves everyone time. And in many cases, that save time equals money saved. The accounting department will thank you. Don't just listen to us. I mean, you should, but don't just do that. The Associated Press uses 1Password to secure their sensitive information in high-risk areas. Right now, our listeners can get a two-week free trial at onepasswordcom MFM. That's two free weeks at one, as in the number one, password.com slash MFM. OnePassword.com slash MFM. Goodbye. Goodbye. 
Well, speaking of all those cases, maybe let's pivot into your quote unquote hometown because hometown means so many things. So maybe it's the case you remember from your childhood hometown that first piqued your interest or a case you worked on that maybe was the first case or the one that first stuck with you or made you realize the gravity of what you were doing. Or maybe your grandma was a badass. You could tell us anything. (laughs) Anything. Anything. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, it's, well, it's wild because I, you know, I've been thinking about this a little bit and there's so many different ways that I could go. I remember, you know, my dad was in the Air Force and he was stationed at Hill Air Force Base. And this is in that 1973, 1974 time frame. And I, as a young boy, would just go, you know, do what you did as a kid back in the early 70s. You just go wander around and your parents had no idea where you were at. And (laughs) I remember- Maybe a little smoking here and there, maybe some bike riding, some smoking. Oh yeah, at age four or five, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, you were just on your own on age age four or five, just wandering the streets. Chewing the Copenhagen, you know, it's- uh, (laughs) Yes. No, but it's funny because I do remember I would slide underneath the the chain link fence, you know, to go outside of the base. And it was funny because I was, I was collecting bottle caps for whatever reason, right? I was looking for trash, on, you know, but as a kid, you think this is the coolest thing. You know, and then as I got older, I realized that when I was out there by myself, that's when Ted Bundy was in the area, you know? So it was one of those things Whoa. where you go, wow, you know, what would have happened, right? Even though, you know, his predilection was for, for women, you know, still a young boy, maybe somebody that a predator couldn't have passed up. And, and I think, you know, back over my time, you know, for similar incidents, incidences in terms of, wow, that was really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of, you know, for me, what really got me into my career, it it wasn't any type of case. It was a TV show, you know, and, and, and I know when, when we did our show together up in Sacramento, when you guys brought me out on stage, I talked about it a little bit in terms of Quincy, yeah. you know, the, the, the medical examiner, the pathologist. And, you know, that show portrayed this pathologist, Quincy, Jack Klugman, who's not only doing the autopsies, but is doing the forensic work, is investigating the cases. You know, he, he really isn't a real person, but I was fascinated with it. Um, and then ultimately, when I went to college at UC Davis, I was pre-med because I wanted to become a forensic pathologist. Oh, I love it. (laughs) And I ended up, you know, I took a human anatomy course, which was taught out at the med school at UC Davis has an excellent med school. And so I got access to the medical school's library and they had a, they had a shelf, maybe two shelves worth of forensic pathology books. And this was really the first time that I was opening the pages and seeing images of death in all its states. And that was shocking to the system, you know, for the, mm-hmm. uh, the uninitiated to see, you know, what happens when somebody dies, uh, the decompositional processes or, you know, vehicular accidents, which are horrific in terms of the injuries or airplane crashes. Um, you know, you, you start not only going, geez, this is, this is gruesome, but it's also that check on your own mortality, you know, as, as now I'm in my early twenties, I think I was 20 
21. It really is that thought-invoking aspect about what life is all about. But I became fascinated with that. But because I was more interested in playing guitar and girls, I did not <laughs> I did not have the grades to go to med school. Um, <laughs> Again, you were 2021. Like, what else yep, would you exactly. be doing? You were going to be a rock and roll doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, when I was really at that point, okay, med school is out and I was kind of struggling what I wanted to do. You know, I thought because my degree is in biochemistry that I would go into biotechnology, which was brand new at the time. And I actually interned at a biotech company in Davis called Calgene. Uh, So I thought, well, this seems to be the direction I want to go, but I don't know. And then I'm at a job fair uh, at the UC Davis gym. It's a huge complex. Uh, and it was, you know, like on the basketball floor. All sorts of booths are set up, and a lot of biotech companies were there. And I was standing in line to talk to some biotech company. And I look over at this other booth, and there is an old style TV, you know, the old, you know, CRT TVs, right? Sitting up on, on one of those TV stands at this booth. And uh, the image on the TV was a man lying in a pool of blood. In the middle of a kitchen. And I was immediately like, what's that? <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. I, I get out of that line and I get over, I go over there. And there was a uh, an, an older gentleman, uh, Victor Reeves, from the California Criminalistics Institute, uh, who was basically recruiting for criminalistics, which I had never heard of. But he was saying, yeah, criminalists are forensic scientists that work in the lab. But we also go out to do crime scene investigation. And I was sold. So at that point, I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. And I immediately went to the UC Davis uh, job, kind of their career library and flipped through, you know, recent job announcements and found a forensic toxicologist announcement for Contra Costa County up in the Bay Area, California. And I applied. And that's literally how I got into at least the beginning of my career. Mm-hmm. But as a forensic toxicologist, I'm doing drug analysis and alcohol analysis, and I quickly became bored. And I don't do bored well at all. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a deputy sheriff criminalist position opening up after a few years on the job. And they were the ones that got to go out to do the crime scenes and work the homicides. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. And from that point on, you know, I just kind of, I got hired into that position. I got hooked into cold cases and serial predator stuff and did the deep dive early in my career and then ended up working so many cases, you know, and, and, and it, it was fortunate, you know, this is a busy area and a unique, unique area. And so I was exposed to so much over the course of my career. That's amazing. How did cold cases get solved back then? I know we didn't we didn't have genetic genealogy, so it's just like gumshoe or a little bit of blood or you know, when I first started, DNA was pretty much brand new in crime labs and there were some cold cases being solved, but they were what you'd call the low-hanging fruit. It was the, you know, they had the obvious physical evidence, the easy physical evidence to use. But as time went on, those dried up and, you know, you didn't see a lot of cold cases being solved until DNA matured. Mm -hmm. But 
you still have, you know, the boots on the ground investigation. I just know, you know, from my experience that, you know, you get so locked in on a suspect because of circumstantial evidence and just to see these suspects that you're convinced this is the guy and then to watch the objective forensic science evidence eliminate that guy. If it's a cold case for me, I I really am much more comfortable seeing you know, I want that objective evidence to support my thoughts because I, I have been wrong, you know, and, and that's just the, that's the limitation of, of that human thought process. You know, you, you think, oh, this can't be a coincidence. He's got to be involved. And it turns out, oh, it's just a coincidence. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy yeah. how many coincidences there are in those. In those it is. Where you're like, this no. is not possible, but. That's right. But it's possible. Yeah. Did, did you ever feel like you had to argue for when DNA was early on, but it was around? And did you ever feel like you were the ambassador for that kind of testing or did everybody accept it as it came? Was there pushback against it? What was that like? No, you know, uh, DNA technology was a very well embraced within the forensic science community and within law enforcement. Uh, You know, the pushback came, of course, by the defense because it was new and they wanted to fight it and it incriminated their defendant. Um, So there, you know, that's where DNA really proved itself was in the courts. You know, now I know the kind of the struggle that I had uh, within my department is that the resources just weren't there to work cold cases. You know, the 1990s was very busy, a lot of gang violence, a lot of drug violence, a lot of drug labs. You know, I was out, you know, all these Beavis and Butthead cooks that were going on, you know, mm. it's just, you know, the duffel bag filled with chemicals, um, mm. you know, so to try to find the time to work a case that was 20 years old was hard. And the reality is, is I was the only one that consistently would do it. Every now and then uh, an investigator would come on board that showed an interest and then that person would get reassigned. Yeah, and But for me, it became a passion and I just did it. My bosses often didn't know what I was up to. Um, <laughs> Maverick over here. Yes. So, and it was just, Quincy. well, that Quincy. was <laughs> Quincy. I was influenced by the TV show. Yeah. Quincy you know, didn't, didn't wait for permission. No. He just went just, and did it. You, you know, I, I, I talk to people and I say, you have to take risks. You know, if you want to make a difference, you got to take risks. Otherwise you're just going to be another cog in the, in the machinery of the agency you're working for. I, I took the risks and fortunately I didn't get bit. And fortunately, you know, the, my biggest risk was, you know, maintaining uh, and persisting on Golden State Killer. And, and that worked out well. You know, we got a, a very, very bad guy off the streets. Mm-hmm. But it, it's that that's kind of, I think, across the board. You know, that's the struggle that many agencies have is they don't have the resources to dig up these old cases. You know, so that's where you get into the arguments of, and my book details this to where I was I was being criticized because uh, from my own staff because I was pursuing these cold cases when staff couldn't keep up on the current casework and they're saying you know holes is killing us <laughs> you know so <laughs> I love it the bad boy in the lab <laughs> now Paul do you remember when you filmed cold case files was that the first thing like that that you ever did. For TV? Okay, so, no, you know, the very first TV outside of the, you know, a real quick snippet on news, like for OJ Simpson, to date myself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, 
the very first thing I did believe in that was unsolved mysteries. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, what so was the I, case? It was East Area Rapist. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So <laughs> in 2001, when we had the DNA link from East Area Rapist to the original Night Stalker down south. Right. Unsolved Mysteries uh, decided, you know, they wanted to interview me. So I went up to Sacramento and interviewed in a motel room, which was fairly straightforward. But then I was down in San Diego for sergeant school. And then they called up and said, hey, we would love to have you reenact the phone call, you know, of the, you know, when, when I called down to Orange County about this link. And that was so cool because they had me drive up to Los Angeles and in some old building downtown in a studio there, you know, an old set with bubbling beakers and test tubes in the background, which was just so fake and not real. <laughs> Classic Wait a unselfish. Wait, what? You didn't have Bunsen burners? <laughs> no. As you were not the old eye wash station over here. Well, Got there were eye wash stations, but you know, <laughs> but it, it, it that was that was really the first time. And so I had to act, you know, on the phone. And then I had some some extra that was on the set saying, Well, you know, you didn't give a long enough pause to hear the person mm-hmm. on the other side. Of the oh phone. my god. I was like, okay, you know. But that that was that was the first time. Uh, Wait, how many takes? How many takes did you have to do to pretend to talk on the phone? Uh, there, you know, there were multiple takes, but I don't remember how many. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was just, I was so nervous, right? Because yeah. it was just, I, this wasn't what I was used to. But you know, it was a cool experience looking back on it, and 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 that was the first time. And then back in it was like in the two thousand eight two thousand nine time frame, media got interested in the case again. So that's when I did the interview with Cold Case Files, True Hollywood Stories investigates. Oh, yeah. And that's when one of the producers of that show, Todd Lindsay, he's the one who claims to have told Michelle McNamara about the East Area Rapist case. Oh. And that's, of course, when Michelle got hooked as to, well, what is this case? And then, of course, mm-hmm. you know, everybody knows her story at this point. Yeah, of course. That's amazing. Yeah. It's so crazy to me that if you hadn't, it's like, I always think of turning points little moments in people's lives. And if you hadn't seen the TV at that job fair with a dude in blood, and or if you had seen it and been like, what the hell? And like <laughs> been creeped out by it. But somehow, like, I feel like I, we can identify that with that as murderinos, that we see something like that and we go, what is that? Instead of what the hell? Mm. Yeah, you. the feeling is, you know, you're being drawn towards something that's repelling other people. Right. And so then you're trying not to, you're like, how much you judge yourself or how much you say, you know, to talk to yourself about that or how much you just go, I don't give a shit. I need to know what is going on yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those points in my life that I look back on. And it was something that drew me into where, for whatever reason, I just have the personality and the, the skill set to do that kind of work. And it's just was, you know, by coincidence that I saw that TV so it is those those little points in your life that, I mean, they make huge differences. I mean, that literally, if I hadn't seen that, I'd probably be working for a pharmaceutical company, driving around, <laughs> having doc, you know, giving out, you know, drug samples to doctors, right? right? And high, high on pills. Oh, and yeah. just really. I'd be so high. I'd be so high. <laughs> yeah. Your own pill addiction. It yes. would have been a mess. 
Yes. I mean, pills are so easy. They're just oh, easy yeah. to do. And we'd never have the hot for holes hashtag. And where would we I mean, be? That would be, we would be lost. It, none of this would be happening. That's right. I see that TV. That's right. That was great. Thank you. You know, we love you, Paul Holes. Yes. Everybody does. Huge um, but fans. We're, we're so proud that you are in our family. Yes. It just means the world to us that, that you and Billy do that show and that you actually did join us after all because it's it's just the coolest. Yes. We're your but, number one fans. Well, you know, you, you know I love you guys too. I mean, there's there's <laughs> ah. a special connection. You know, and, and Karen, you know, we, we've, we've flirted <laughs> in the past. <We're, laughs> you know. You know, I mean, yeah. once this quarantine is over. <laughs> <laughs> I have a photo of the three of us from the Sacramento show. I'll send it along if we want to put it on Instagram. When oh, sure. Post this, it'd be yeah. really... Fun. Yeah, it's cute. Very cool. It's fun. Backstage. Backstage, baby. Fun times. So April of 2022, make sure that you pre-order Unmasked, My Life Solving America's Cold Cases by none other than Paul Holes. Always, always, always rate, review, and subscribe to The Murder Squad. New episodes are released every Monday. Paul Holes, thank you thank so, you so much. much for being on our Celebrity Hometown show. So fun. Yes. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Great to see you. Yes, for Great sure. Great to see you too. Bye. Bye. Elvis, do you want a cookie? This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Hannah Kyle Crichton. Our associate producer is Alejandra Keck. Engineered and mixed by Andrew Epen. Send us your hometowns at myfavoritemurder at gmail.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at myfavoritemurder and Twitter at myfavemurder. For more information about the podcast, live shows, merch, or to join the fan cult, go to myfavoritemurder.com. And please rate, review, and subscribe. Goodbye. Goodbye.